Hi, welcome to, I think, episode 29. Mark, what episode is this? 29? It is 29. I got it right for the first time this year. Uh, I'm here with Murray McCormick, uh, my leader post colleague of 32 years, Mark. And uh, we're discussing all things Rough Riders, all things CFL, as is usual. We have a special guest with us this weekend, as you cannot tell by taking a look at the screen. Uh, the great Brendan Tammon, uh, leader post columnist, great cup winning uh, general manager with the 2013 Saskatchewan Rough Riders and a, a, what, a provincial title winning team manager <laughs> in high school basketball. Uh, is, am I correct? Yeah, that was a stellar point in my career, no doubt. <laughs> that had the really gaudy ring, didn't it? Yeah, it had a ring all right. It was the onion <laughs> ring at A&W I think I got for that. <laughs> well, those onion rings were we, – we always had the big debate in high school where to get the onion rings because Dairy Queen had really good onion rings and um, A&W had those big fat onion rings. They still have them. As I can tell, I've had them. A&W, so they still knock them out of the park. Oh. Dairy Queen's onion rings are pretty good too. How can an onion be bad other well, than for yeah. you? Exactly. Yeah, that's true. How did I get on that tangent so quickly? I, I, know, I just wanted I to mention, you got a smile during the playing of our musical interlude, int- introduction. I looked at us on the <laughs> video last week. We looked like two stern old goats who are just about ready to be sent to the death chamber. So smile every now and again. Try it now. Smile. I refuse. I, he's smiling. He's I didn't. Smiling. I didn't go into this for the for, for for the purpose of telegenics. I went into it for the journalism and failed there too. Um, okay. Well, no smiling then. I don't think the Ottawa Red Blacks are smiling uh, after. Wasn't that a lovely segue after the Grey Cup on Sunday? And I don't think a lot of CFL fans. I don't want to speak for the whole constituency, but I don't think a lot of CFL fans are actually you know really clicking their heels either over the Grey Cup. Um, Regardless of who you cheer for, the, the conditions marred the game. Brendan, you've been through the Edmonton mm-hmm. Grey Cup routine before in 2010 as the general manager of the Rough Riders. And uh, I don't recall the turf even being mentioned once no. that week. Um, we mentioned Murray's lack of turf on the top of his head, but we <laughs> did not mention the field field conditions. What would have changed on on Sunday? You know, I'm uh, I'm really puzzled by that because, you know, we were there in 2010 and we practiced all week on the turf and it memory serves me right and i am getting older but i I think it was fine uh i don't recall any issues at all um you know there was always the the issue of which shoe to wear but it wasn't to the point of what we saw yesterday that was uh, incredible actually to see it was uh i I, i've i don't know what happened i honestly don't i i I'm, i'm a little confused on why they didn't practice on there all week so that sort of got me a little bit wondering what was going on but i I never dreamt we were going to see what we saw and that that was it's really too bad because you know a lot of people pay a lot of money for that and uh to see that was disappointing i I mean i want to i'm sick of hearing both teams had to play on it yeah that's like saying okay we're gonna have woodstock but we're gonna have a lousy sound system but that's okay because every group has to use it. right it uh it it totally wrecked the caliber of the football game you're you're watching players try to come to a screeching halt before they can even make a football move upfield that was just awful painful to watch i i at one point i said i don't want to watch this anymore and i i turned on the radio broadcast just in the hope that i would enjoy it more if i didn't have to watch what was going on on the field because that was just that was awful mer i'm gonna say i don't think ottawa would have won if there'd been prime conditions though i think calgary proved itself to be the best football team despite the conditions but the conditions were horrible and I, I don't know, people are going to be blaming the CFL, and I, mean, I don't think they wanted those conditions either, but somehow 
it turned into a skating rink. And we, I haven't seen an explanation of why yet. I haven't seen someone mention they might have got water on the turf, but they only had walkthroughs on that field on Saturday, as much as I could tell. There was nobody practicing during the week other than Bo Levi complained. I think on Saturday that was slippery. So there was a an idea of that. Maybe some people have thrown up those big logos they paint onto the field are maybe slippier than the regular turf, but they slipped on the regular turf too. So it wasn't really just the big logos that created all the problems. And I really think it was Terry Williams' punt return was literally a guy walking on ice and watching the other guys not be able to stop. That was like a huge play in the game that the conditions dictated what happened. Also, an outstanding special teams player breaks open the game like that. So that happened. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a lot of fun to watch. It was, you know, I'm thinking, oh, there's... I remember getting with me, what did I remember about the Grey Cup? And I thought, I like the halftime show. I thought she was pretty entertaining and not my type of music, but she was a lot of fun to watch. But the game itself was pretty nondescript and slippery, kind of like is a 2-1 curling game. Well, nothing that ha- happens on ice in Edmonton lately has been especially <laughs> successful. So this fits in with, with that theme, I suppose. It it It's surprising me. I, I read somewhere, and I haven't seen a lot of, uh, uh, of, of, a lot of elaborating on this, but apparently the, the the turf that was installed for the 2015 FIFA Women's World Cup is of a different variety than that which would normally adorn a football pasture in Canada. And perhaps that led to some freezing issues that may not have been a factor in, in 2010. Apparently there's something quirky with this turf that makes it more conducive, more more susceptible to turning into that. But that was 2015, I think. And they've played cold weather games before on that turf, 2014. It was cold weather that day. I don't remember anybody sliding on the turf other than, you know, the riders kind of slid off. I wonder who was the GM back then in 14. That I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, if I have to ask him that. But why don't I, you look at 2013 in Regina and the awful weather all week leading up to that game. And come Sunday, which was a nicer day, the turf was fine. But even during that week, except when teams practice indoors, I think Hamilton fled to the great indoors at one point. There weren't any turf issues, even though we were talking about there were polar bears walking around in the end zone in yeah. in Regina that week. So why, if the turf wasn't bad in 2013, why was it so bad yesterday? Right, and even last year, guys, remember the snow in Ottawa? Yeah, they had better footing in that schmozzle than yesterday. And what what would catch me, like as a GM of a team, I, I would really be concerned with the fact that they didn't practice on there all week. That to me is a real, I don't know what the word is, but to me that's very odd. Like, when you get to a Grey Cup, I would think, I don't want our team to practice at the University of Alberta in a dome, even though it's warmer. Like, I want to get on the field like we did in 2010. Like, and we had no problems. But to me, that's a sign already. Like, what is going on there if they can't get on the field all week? I don't know. Has anybody heard of a tarp? I happen to be wearing one right now. Double XL. Whatever happened to a basic tarp? Something like I know, that. That been... and the fact that we're talking about the turf over the Grey Cup game itself tells you a lot, doesn't it? Don't you remember back to the days when they had real grass here? They wouldn't let anybody oh, yeah. practice on that yeah, field? that was like walking into the mecca of, uh, you know, the yeah. gold, you know, there must have been a tomb buried under there or something because he couldn't get on it at all. <laughs> yeah. I remember Daryl Davis writing a story about that and how they had the gates actually locked so the riders couldn't get into practice. I, on I heard Shiv that. kicked the door down one day to get on their field once before a game. I thought I heard that or something to that nature. And guess what? They they always made a big deal of that and they allowed it to become a distraction and to supersede a lot of the talk about the actual game. You're right. Surprise, yeah. surprise. They didn't win very often in Edmonton in those days. Yeah. 
They were so wrapped up thinking that the circumstances were aligned against them. I think they were mentally defeated before they even stepped on the field in those days. Yeah, no question. That's a good point. Well, uh, hopefully it's a lesson They had a pretty good run, as TSN reminded us many, many times yesterday. They had a pretty good run in the 70s to the middle 80s. (laughs) I found TSN's hammering of that a little bit much. I also found, I know I'm going off topic here. We want to talk about onion rings. Don't go off topic. (laughs) Do you remember the the whole idea of, of, of Calgary... You know, having something to prove after getting the last two great cups. I don't remember a lot of people putting that forward. Do you think they they were like this is such a a great redemption for a team that lost two great cups? I thought everyone figured they're the best team. They and were. They there'd been some cracks showing yeah, lately, lately, and uh, not so maybe team, that no. factored into it. But well, they were they 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 did not play well down the stretch, and yeah. uh, but recovered nicely. I think it took them time to get their receivers playing well. And it took all that group together, so they came together in the last week to beat BC, and then they had a couple of weeks to go, and then they turned out they played pretty well. I mean, that defense played pretty well. Can Port- I make one statement, though? No. Jonathan Rose shouldn't have been playing in that There's game. There's no way he should have been playing in that game. Brendan, well, agree, disagree? Uh, well, my GM hat would say, sure, why not? But <laughs> taking that off, because I'm not one anymore, um, yeah, when a guy strikes a ref, uh, you, you <laughs> I don't think that's appropriate for him to be. And I know it's because of the Grey Cup and all that. But it, if it's the Stanley Cup final in game five and a guy whacks a linesman or a ref, well, he gets to play game six because it's the Stanley Cup final. Like, that's crazy. It's not a good look for the CFL or the CFLPA. I think they should have said. And we saw it many times. It was a blatant. He was, It wasn't an no, accident that he right. pushed. I Maybe he didn't know the official was there. I'm not going to be able to speak it's for him. It's immaterial, though. He contacted yeah. an official should with some gone. aggression. And, should, and he got that pick right off the game. Went, oh, no, this, this really isn't going to be karma here that he's going to come back and have a game like James Johnson back in the Murray, 2007. don't bring that up. <laughs> oh, okay, can, can we bring up the interception in 2020? How about Billy Parker in 2010? Is it okay to bring that up then, Brendan? <laughs> you know that, I don't know. Yeah. Our special guest has left <laughs> us. The microphone is muted. muted. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just think it was a bad look for the CFL, the CFLPA, and everybody else who found a way to support it, that they should have said, in this case, you uh, you handled our official, you don't play football. The CFLPA, that, that to me is a, is a tacit uh, endorsement of, of contacting right. an official. Yeah. I, I, why don't you? Why do you have to stand? Why do you stand up for a player in that situation? Not only that, um, the procedural, yeah, oh, the manner of handling, the way that they handled it or didn't handle it procedurally. You can't get somebody to rule on that within That's a week. Yeah. I guess they would. You know, ideally, you need to know by Tuesday or Wednesday from a prep, preparation standpoint, but. Considering the circumstances, can't you can't you get some wheels in motion to ensure that this is arbit this is handled early in the week? What's yeah. the problem there? Like, have you dealt with a situation like that, Brendan, where you've had to call in those other forces and you've well, been waiting on a player um, for his status? In a like in a bigger picture thing, it, it's I can't recall anything specific, but when you heard a guy could just go to arbitration or just file a appeal the commissioner was basically rendered powerless. And I've yet to figure that out when it comes down to the CBA, why the commissioner of any pro league, and I think this is the unique one in CFL, is that his mandates or his suspensions usually are meaningless until it goes to the appeal process. Now, you figure that out to me and explain that. Um, you know, because usually you're dealing with a, a bad hit or a bad block, and obviously the PA are going to protect their guys. But my whole thing on that is... Who's protecting the guy that got hit? Like, 
exactly. Yeah, like you remember back in the day, I can't remember the names per se, but there was a a BC and Calgary game and there was a bad, bad low hit that basically ended a guy's career. And, you know, there was appeals and all that stuff. Yeah, I think it was Jimenez. That Jimenez? And who, who looked out for the kid in Calgary that blew his knee and ended his career? Like... And then like, the league as a whole has a long way to go, obviously, and a lot of issues. And how that field yesterday was conducive to player safety is beyond me. Like, that's... I'm glad. I think Deontay Spencer ended up with a know, groin injury or something, and that was about it. I know. Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, they, I don't think they could plant, plant enough to get to get an injury. The field was so slippery. There was no traction I to just, be gained by I have a hard time that believing field. that so just popped up Saturday as well. Something like that, that had to have been, well, I don't know this, but I yeah. presume the field was a little bit, uh, what's the word, inoperable most of the week. So how does it just get brought up on Saturday, the day before the biggest mm-hmm. game of the year, and all of a sudden it just turns into a schmozzle? It. The, and it's it's such a loved for the CFL. I know. No I one know. really questioned it a lot on Saturday. Bo Levi said That's the field was slippery. Well, I just Bo thought it was Levi Calgary, like, oh, whatever. But then you the see action. the game, and it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, and I wonder, I mean, it's true that both teams have to play on it, but I wonder how that would have affected Ottawa as much, probably more than Calgary. You look at the arsenal that the that the Ottawa Red Blacks have on offense. You've got Trevor Harris, who's just finished throwing six touchdown passes in the East Division final. You've got William Powell, who's an amazing running back. And you've got three 1,000-yard receivers. And suddenly, and you've got an offense that's so based so much on timing, and suddenly you're disarmed by the elements to that degree. Well, think- like, did Ottawa really stand a chance? You look at, T.S. added a really good, uh, highlight package or low light package last night showing Deontay, Deontay Spencer in the, in the degree to which he was yes. nullified by the field I, conditions. I strongly believe and, uh, you know, I didn't nullify Terry Williams, mind you, but Ottawa really seemed to be disadvantaged by it. Yeah, and it's just in the big – that's not the way to be a championship game. Like if it's pouring rain and snowing, well, I think people would get that. But all we heard was how what a beautiful day it was going to be and how the weather has turned out. And the field turns into just a, you know, a farce. To be honest with you, and, and it didn't even look frozen, Brendan. Did well, no, it? It, it, it looked it, normal. I, I, I <laughs> Other than I, lots of logos. I thought it was around zero most of the day. I know it probably got yeah. a little cooler, but like you guys have brought up, there's many examples of fields that have been able to accommodate those kind of weather conditions quite easily, from 13 to 10 to last year. Why this year did that turn into that is beyond me. That's what I'd love to know the answers to. Sorry. Remember the Vanier Cup they had in Saskatoon? It was like 40 below. Yeah. And they still didn't slip on the field. And that was a brand new field with the little rubber balls. Were really a big issue with the pellets they put in the turf. Well, even last year with the snow, it didn't seem to be a no. major issue. You look at the 96 Grey Cup, uh, Edmonton and, and uh, Toronto. And that was a... Right. You know, and then that, that was a game that was an, ab, an absolute joy to watch. The snow is part of the lore of the game. Right. Yeah. And but, even if they were well, slipping, was, you could understand it, right? But how do you make sense of what happened last night? Is I don't know. I, I just can't figure that out. To be honest with you. So if you're if you're the general, if you're Marcel oh. Desjardins today, Brendan, yeah. and you're looking at your team, and you're trying to decide what plans to make for next year. Oh. Obviously, the Grey Cup is the big game of the year. How much weight can you even attach to that game when looking at your team? When your weapons, a lot of your players couldn't do what they ordinarily do. How do you make decisions on personnel based upon 
a game that represents the culmination culmination of your season that that included elements and and factors that wouldn't ordinarily be there it's very difficult to assess that there's no doubt about that i mean um and i think no matter who lost that game would have the same opinion of the fact that there's issues there that you know easily could be attributed to your loss so you know, when you evaluate Brad Sinopoli or Ellingson or your DBs last night, it's pretty much pointless because, you know, unless they had staples in their shoes or something, they're probably not going to be really effective. Um, you know, I guess you can adjust to the mental part of the game. Did they do their assignments rights and all that? But, um, you know, even on Trevor Harris, when he throws a couple of those balls, was the receiver actually able to generate enough, you know, power to get to the ball or was he running his routes? I mean, it was just a... A def, you know, self-defense course in who can run a route or who can, you know, catch a ball or all that. It was sad to see, really. And now Trevor Harris is going into free agency, yeah. and the last example of his work going into the free agency period is that. I know. So if you're a general manager and you're looking at the free agent pool and you're contemplating whether to sign Trevor Harris or whether to throw a lot of money at I him, know. do you look at the six-touchdown pass Trevor Harris in the East Final, or do you look at the Grey Cup which where a lot of the circumstances were aligned against him. How do you, I know. how do you, how do you decide whether to make a big pitch for Trevor Harris based upon what was, what there was to see yesterday? Or do you even factor that in? I, yeah, it's a really good point, Rob. I think, you know, you have to look at the 18 games, I guess, in that body work. But when it comes to playoff time, it's such an extreme comparison. Like you mentioned, he was so good in the final in the East. And then in the gray cup, for whatever the reason, and that's the magical question, he was just off. He never really got into a rhythm. But was that totally his fault? I, I mean, I don't want to make excuses for him. but And that's the sad thing of what we're talking about. Like, <laughs> that's a pretty big decision for that team to have to make. And I'm not saying they're not going to, you know, I presume they'll bring him back. But was it the real Trevor Harris or was it not? I mean, I don't know. He's never beaten Calgary. So there's some factor there I would think would, you know, factor into it all. Can I? Can I mention Calgary's defense played pretty darn well? Yes. Now back to Brendan and I. So, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was so – I knew I, – people kept asking me who was going to win. I kept saying Calgary's defense is so good that they can win that game almost on their own, and they almost did it on their own. Trey Robinson had an amazing game. Micah Johnson was – Deontay like, Evans. Deontay Evans. You name Alex it. Singleton. I, I, know, I realized Lamar Durant was a Canadian. Alex Singleton is one of those type of Canadians. He had an incredible game. He's an incredible player. And defensively, they did everything right they had to do. They handled the conditions obviously better than the, the uh, Red Blacks did. So I think, you know, we're kind of overshadowing what Calgary's defense did. And had it, they had a great cup championship-style game in adverse conditions. And I think that it's unfortunate that a lot of things are going to be overlooked, the fact, the type of game they had. So because, now now we're talking about the off season, And this should be one of the more eventful off seasons we've ever seen, it's subtracting the U.S. expansion era. I think this might be the most eventful offseason. No, we might expand to Mexico. Well, that's right. Well, I'm sure the Mexican players will just love those conditions <laughs> that we saw yesterday. I just find this whole Mexican thing st- smells of 95 and 96, where there's maybe something in the background. Remember they expanded that they needed expansion back then to save the CFL, and they expanded. And now this Mexico thing just has a whole weird vibe to it. Why Mexico? Why not, aren't we worried about Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal? Are we care about, like, unless you go to Cancun and Puerto Vallarta, then yes, absolutely Mexico for me. But Cancun and Puerto Vallarta in July are yeah, well, yeah. What do you make of this, Brendan? I yeah. To, to me, I just why? What's the big deal here? Well, um, 
I think, and I don't know this, I'm, I'm surely not the commissioner by no means, but I think what he's thinking is in the big picture of recruiting and procuring players per se, um, the American recruiting is going to be challenged severely with a couple new leagues, at least one for sure, we think, coming in. Um, you know, the Canadian aspect won't change. I think that's going to be fine. But I think you've heard the GMs and personnel alike, you know, starting to voice their dissatisfaction about how many guys they haven't been able to sign off their neg list in the last few months. And I think it's valid. I mean, it's the reality of life now that they're in. So I think what what the commissioner is trying to do is try to open up some avenues and some new roads on how to bring in players into our league. And, you know, one of the things he's obviously looking at is, is Mexico and, and what kind of quality of player there is there. Um, it, it's tough because, you know, at the end of the day, you build your team on quarterbacks and Canadians, I think. And I think what he's worried about is, the pool of the player in general is starting to dry up significantly. And where are we going to go find more people to choose from? And I think that's where the Mexico idea comes from. And hopefully it works out. You know, there's, there's other countries in the world, you know, that play football. Um, but Mexico, I think is name two. Sorry. <laughs> name two. <laughs> yeah. Well, Germany and stuff, but they don't have the, yeah. you know, Japan and, and the, the Asian countries are really starting to get into it. But in the big picture here, we've got enough problems within Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal, I think. You know, I keep hearing about this Halifax stuff, which is great, but, uh, yeah. boy, there's some issues before that that are going to come into play here pretty quick. One thing, I mean, you've dealt with this as a GM, and this is going to be a huge issue during the off the off season, is the collective bargaining yeah. agreement. It expires in June. However, the free Actually, agency May. period, May, in the yeah. spring. And uh, the free agency period begins February 15th. I remember talking with you, Brandon, about this very topic in, in 2014 yeah. when the cap is what the cap is, but you don't know what the cap's going to be once the C CBA is, is negotiated. How, <laughs> from a practical standpoint, shouldn't the deadline for getting a new CBA done be February 15th as opposed to sometime in the spring? As a GM, I would agree 100% with you. I mean, yeah. I, I, let's look at Edmonton, for example. You know, Mike Riley is so important to that team, obviously. And from what I can gather, and I'm not in it anymore, but I think there's been a lot of restrictions on Brock to try to attempt even to sign him. Like there's there's been talk of bonus money not being able to be paid. As a GM of the Edmonton Eskimos or, or whatever team that you feel is the most important player, and I'm, I'm not – Brock knows what he's doing. So I'd, I think he should be able to pull Mike Riley into his office with his agent, lock the door, and not leave until they have an agreement signed. And I don't care what it's going to take within reason. But right now for him not to be able to do that for the CBA being such a clouded, mysterious issue – I, I have no idea how some of these GMs are able to do their jobs anymore. I really don't. Like, I, I don't, I've seen some guys get signed, but all I've heard is that there's no bonuses allowed to be, you know, put in a contract till the CBA's done. Well, what does that mean? Like, what does business stop until then? Like, holy smokes. Like, I think it's very worrisome. I really do. 
what do you what do you do if it's February fifteenth? You're Mike Riley. You're a GM who wants to sign Mike Riley. You're a GM who wants to re-sign Mike Riley. And if that is not done by then, how do you even know what the market price should be without knowing what the cap that's number right. is? Yeah, that's like they've from a practical standpoint, they can't wait till till the spring. Well, I they? think the reason is the players are never going to agree to switching it to free agency because they have no leverage at free agent deadline. They have leverage by not going to training camp in May fifteenth. That gives them leverage. That's why it's. I think I'm not saying that, but it's, that's pretty the obvious way. Is the players have to, if they go on strike in November, February? Who noticed? They're not in training camp in May. People have noticed. So I think that's the players would never agree to changing. The but are date. they costing themselves money by not agreeing to a contract by then? Because that's when people are throwing are more apt to throw around the cash free agency period. Suppose mm-hmm. the cap goes up by five hundred thousand dollars or a million or whatever. There's more money for the players to earn. Whereas if you don't reach an agreement by mid-February, then GMs are going to carry on, I think, with the assumption that the cap is what it was. And then you're leaving money on the table. Like, isn't that the incentive, Brennan, for the players to to be, come to an agreement and be amenable to coming to an agreement by mid-February? Um, I, I would think so. Um, because what you're going to find is some American guys are going to probably go, okay, you know, I can't sign in Canada. I'm going to try to get down to the States and if that new, I'm not sure the dates and how they correspond to each other, but if that new league is just starting up, uh, you might see some pretty important, um, you know, whatever they're called now, international players bolting the CFL <laughs> to go to the new league just because of the uncertainty. How how that is positive for anybody in the CFL is beyond me. So I, I really think this is a real troubling issue that they need to get fixed ASAP. Now, Murray's right. The leverage port comes in. And what's the hurry for some aspects? But I just, I'm still, as a GM, I still don't know even know how you even sign guys at this stage because if you're a player, why would you sign right now? You don't know the cap. Brandon, like, as a GM. It's beyond I'm me. Like, uh, I'm frustrated. I'm not even involved with it. <laughs> Maybe as a GM, can you explain to us how important bonuses are in signing guys? Like, can we understand what a two-year contract might right. do, but... How important is a $10,000 bonus into pushing the guy into signing with the team? Yeah. Like what, what is by not having any bonuses signed? How does that impact? Well, I think, team? you know, the one major, well, two things come into play. One is guys, you know, don't have income for six months. So in the off season when they hit, and if you're, I don't want to throw examples out there, but if you're a fairly important player that the team wants back and the guy wants to get a deal done and he needs money, you can have a win-win scenario where, Let's say the kid wants to make a hundred grand. Let's just say, well, you can, if you're an American, you can say, okay, well, if you want a hundred grand without a bonus, less the tax, you're going to net this contra. If you, if we pay you to like a $60,000 contract with a $20,000 signing bonus, which is 80, obviously you actually could make more money with the 80 than you would the hundred. And that's why the that because of a signing bonus, obviously. So that's why, you know, a lot of Americans will want to get a signing bonus because of the tax breaks alone. Um, that's one little example. So it's sort of a win-win because the player gets the money that he wanted and the club gets to save X amount of dollars because of the tax structure you put in place because of the signing bonus. It's somewhat complicated at times, but in some ways it's basic. Now, unfortunately, because of tax laws, the Canadians don't get affected by that. They're, there's no tax mm-hmm. breaks for any Canadians. So unless they live in the United States, which is, I don't want to get into all of this rhetoric, but um, there is some ways you can do things that are advantageous, but 
if the mandate right now is you can't give bonuses out, I have no idea how you sign players. I really don't. That's it. Because remember, once you're trying to explain to me Darren Durant's yes. contract, and you you touched upon that, and it went way beyond my lack of accountability head. Well, that doesn't really understand it. In a long story short, stuff, but. to make it simple for you, if Darren was living in Regina, what I just told you does not apply because his residence is in Canada. If Darian lived in Atlanta or wherever he was at the time, he would benefit because he wasn't living in Canada. If you can make yeah. sense out of that in a way, let me know because I always thought, well, geez, it would be great if the Americans lived in Canada, but they are actually penalized for it because of the tax structure. So when he yeah. moved to Regina, it didn't benefit him at all when it came to his contract. Now, he might have got some off-season stuff worked out with some companies or whatever, like yeah. for his future employment, but... When it came to his contract, it didn't help him. What's your perception of the players' union, Brendan? I mean, obviously, your your yeah. background is in is in management and football yeah. ops, but um, I've always looked at this union that's almost by design can't be considered a union in terms of solidarity. You've got a, a membership that's there's all sorts of quirks to the membership. You've got it's basically consisting of half American players and no, none of these players grow up thinking, gee, I want to be a member of the CFL players association someday. So there's, there isn't a built-in loyalty. And then you look at the, the various quirks within that, where there's a lot better players in the league getting paid a lot less than the Canadian offensive linemen who who seem to predominate in the union. So there seems to be a caste system within that union. Uh, To me, it, it just seems by design to be something that cannot be, unified for a prolonged period is that a valid point or am i out of it as usual i mean you make some good points i've had a chance to to meet with them um a couple different times uh throughout my time um first of all they they get the league they love the league uh the union itself but they're in a tough spot because i think nobody would argue the fact that the players do deserve good pay more than they probably are, are you know allowed to make right now but it is a business and the revenue has to add up to that. And I see both sides of the story, but the union itself, I think, Rob, you're right. I mean, there, when you look at it, I think Keon Raymond is now on there as an American or ex American player that is going to try to do some things, but uh, you know, Brian Ramsey and Jeff keeping and those guys, Marwin used to be on at Hage. Um, you know, I, I think the challenge you have is I think the American guys need to put a lot more thought and a lot more pride into the union and to make sure they're protected as well. Because at the end of the day, Rob, you're right. The, as a GM, you, you pay your Canadians, whether they're all linemen, you know, receivers, whoever you are, your Canadian starters make the money, Enoch Mwamba, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And the old adage is you can go get the Americans at, you know, 50 grand in the day compared to a Canadian starter that wasn't as good, but you had to pay him a hundred cause he was in the Canadian. That's the challenge you live with in the business. But uh, like I said, the union, I, I know they want to do what's best both for the league and the players, but obviously they're going to look out for their players first. And I think uh, this year is going to be really telling. I, I know there's a lot of concerns uh, with player safety and just the whole benefit package and all that stuff. So um, it's tough. It really is. But I mean, the, when you know this happened back in the off season or you know in 14 i remember and i think from the league's point of view we were worried that they might strike there was no question about it but from 
from sensing from our players at the time, they had no interest in striking at all. So the whole key on all this is get it done sooner than later to make sure the league is running properly. And if it drags and drags and drags, you're going to have a lot of problems. I was just going to say, this is probably one of the more depressing rider rumblings we've had this season. Everything seems to be saying dark and gloom. And <laughs> we haven't even talked about the riders yet. <laughs> I know. And it's just, you know, the CBA, the Mexico, it doesn't seem to be any, is there any reason this off season to be optimistic about anything? Maybe we're going to see a, I hate to say it, maybe a whole turnover in quarterbacks. Is this going to be maybe the riders will get a quarterback that can actually play through some injuries and things like that. But is it, this is going to be like the darkest, gloomiest off season we can ever remember. I just, the way it seems today, it is. Well, the mid-90s and the telethon years are, were pretty yeah, gloomy. Yeah, that was riders-related. <laughs> subtract those. And the league right. was on life support yeah. concurrent to the rider te- last rider telethon. So uh, we've seen worse off-seasons than this. The, the difference now is there is money that the Players Association thinks they can get at. I don't think there's that much but money. But there is some money there. Yeah. But... And they've shown it by, by, by paying for these big coaching staffs for football ops. They've... Yep. The lar- the largesse on the par- on the right. side of the football operations has not gone unnoticed with- by the players, and now the players want some of that. The league has almost acknowledged that by capping the football ops salaries. So, but the players know that there's a pool of money there that they can access. And once upon a time, they couldn't dream of going after. You know what I and find that's the difference with with this negotiation. What I find interesting about this cap, the CFL hasn't announced this cap. We're all operating under the assumption there's this coaching cap, and Chris Jones talked about it, but there's been no official announcement, has there? That there's no. just been Dave Naylor broke it way back in the spring, and there hasn't been Randy Ambrosi talking about this official, what this cap, all the, all the thing, all the people that covered. There's a couple of reports on the weekend that it, some some members of the staff aren't, the staff aren't going to be included under the cap because they're too too important or something like that. So, yeah. what, what do you make of this, Brandon? You yeah. would have had to have dealt with this once upon a time. Um, or you know, add given your role, this is something would have crossed your desk yes. if they, if if this had uh, yeah. happened I, during your regime. What well, do you what do you make of all? You know, this? I understand when when people say you know the coaches and the GMs shouldn't be making more than the players, and I agree with that. And I wasn't I was a GM, and I, I benefited from that. There's no doubt about that. Um, the counterbalance is we pay you I'm, nothing I'm, now. I'm not worth it. <laughs> You're doing this for free. Some people might not that much as the GM either, but <laughs> <Just> anyway. kidding. <laughs> we did get he does get paid. Um, Sorry, Brandon. Go my ahead. My real problem with this whole thing is, um, I get the cap on the coaches and the players and you know the management and all that. How they think video people, equipment managers, and trainers uh, uh, basically equate to you winning or losing, and that's not disrespecting those people at all. They're very important to your organization. How those people get thrown into this mess is beyond me. And I think it's absolutely insane, stupid, that they would even be included in this. Those people work their butts off for not a lot of money, and they get thrown into this? Like, give me a break. Like, Ivan Gutfren worked his butt off for years. And if I had to sit there across from him and go, Ivan, you need to take a 10% pay cut, (laughs) I wouldn't do it. I would find a way otherwise to do it somewhere else with somebody else. I would, because it's not right. Um, when it comes to coaches and all that stuff, I get it. Um, you know, I really strongly believe that this was geared towards Saskatchewan because of the aura that they have 30 scouts and oh, yeah. 15 coaches. So what? Did they win the Grey Cup? Like, to me, and this is my no. approach or thinking, and maybe I'm wrong, why are you penalizing Saskatchewan that does it right? 
that that runs a pro football team the way it's supposed to be won? Why are you bringing them down to the levels of the teams that struggle? It's up to those teams that struggle to raise their game. That's the way I look at it. And I remember when I was in Saskatchewan running that team, I'd always get the looks of, oh, yeah, you guys charter everywhere. You guys do this. You guys do that. We didn't charter everywhere. BC, Edmonton, and Calgary chartered every game, not Saskatchewan. But, you know, we did things right. We'd give players, you know, the shirts, the jerseys, the, the sweats. So what? That's the way you run a football team the right way. And for them to be penalized for it, I just don't get it. But then, but then I asked Craig Reynolds about it back in the spring, and and he said all the political things, we, we support this, etc. There, there was no, at least for public consumption, there was no objection, right. minimal or vehement, to this being enacted. Was Were they just saying the right things, or are they, do you think they're legitimately on board with this? Well, I think they're definitely on board with it. I'm sure Craig was probably one of the few presidents or whoever that put this into place that was advocating it. And... Uh, you know, I don't know how they run it anymore. I just know that when we needed to spend money in football ops, granted I could justify it, we were able to do it. And, you know, I know Chris Jones goes out and runs the camps and whatever. I don't know the bottom line expenses on doing all that stuff. I don't. But when I hear they're starting to cut the mini camps and all that, when you're in a world where you've got to find players more importantly than ever, again, I don't get it. I really don't. And... um I know there was probably a message to the PA here going, we're trying to get our expenses in order. I, I get that too. Um, and maybe they're viewing it that you're wasting money on that instead of paying the players. I get that. But um, I don't know. It's To me, it's a little scary because if you start, you know, streaming and trimming your football ops people and costs and way of you doing things, I don't know where this is going ultimately. I think you're right. I think it was targeted at the Rough Riders and, the, as you say, the 15 coaches and everything like that. And yeah. Maybe this is the only way the president saw of controlling the Rough Riders. But I also agree with you on the point that it's an unlevel playing field. The Riders have the money and the wherewithal to do that. Why shouldn't they get some rewards for that? Why yeah. shouldn't they be allowed to you, have that? You know what my philosophy was? There's not a cap on how you treat your players. There is a cap on what you pay them. And they're starting to infringe on the cap for how you treat them. And that's all I'm going to say. See, my worry, though, I mean, I remember the days when, I mean, the TSN TV contract was a windfall, and that gave the league some opportunity, and the team some, that handles a considerable portion of the payroll. And so suddenly the league has got some cash on its hand, There's this, and there's some, there, cash on hand, and there are select teams that do. So suddenly the teams that do have resources start, start spending. Others are more constrained. It's only a nine, soon to be ten, has been eight, league team league and suddenly if there's an inequity where there's three or four teams that are doing well and three or four that aren't what does that puts the league in a precipice if you've got four teams in the nfl that aren't doing well for the sake of argument you've still got 28 that are that are going to be okay but if suddenly if two or three or four, four markets start having difficulties and are really disadvantaged as a result of a system then it it goes beyond the viability of a particular team it it starts to really point to and endanger the viability of the league and is the chain is only as strong as its weakest link or weakest links uh, theory applicable in this case or could it be yeah i hear you there rob because at the end of the day you have to have the money to run your teams no doubt like it's not a secret that bc toronto and montreal are struggling there's no doubt 
And when they see teams like Saskatchewan or whoever else that has all the money to spend on X this and X that, um, there's definitely a challenge there. There's no doubt. And I, I know how, you know, I think I sort of know how the operation of the football world works. You have to have money to run your team. There's no doubt. But um, I think if you're talking about, you know, differences in the salary cap itself, that's, that's a different world. Uh, I think most teams will spend to it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, some teams have higher coaches and lower and everything. But, and I don't, I don't know if I know this accurately, but I'm going to say it anyway. Calgary and Ottawa are not known to be the most two most free-spending teams in the league on anything. And they're in the Grey Cup. So, I mean, just because teams spend the money doesn't mean the other teams have to. Because if you don't have the money, then, well, don't spend it, obviously. That, that's exactly the point with the Rough Riders. They aren't in the Grey Cup. They haven't made the playoffs since 13. They have all this extra money. It, they doesn't they made the playoffs in 14, and they sorry. made the playoffs this past I mean, year. Murr, sorry. they were there. Grey Cup. Okay. Yeah, but sorry. ultimately, sorry. You're, you're, I think you're graded on Grey Cups. <laughs> And I, Calgary is not out there spending X amount of dollars on this, 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 and this, you know, equating to great cup appearances every year. They're not. So, but Rob, you make a great point. I mean, obviously with those teams that are struggling, you can't keep going the way it's going with the money, the way it's being spent. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's tough. It, it really is. It just, from the inner worlds, if it's just a football guy's view, uh, like if I'm Chris Jones, I'd be really disappointed to have to do that with my staff. But that's the way the world works now. When he met the media that day, I understand it took him a while to cool down yeah. before he came to. Actually, they, they did the players before him because he still was pretty hot under the collar and disappointed. And, yes, and all these things. And just I, like every coach, they care about everybody on their staff. Look, you know, and go bring in a guy in and say, an equipment manager, get it. He makes what whatever he might you know, he makes. You got to take a ten percent cut, or you don't have a job. Yeah, that's horrible. You know, that's going to hurt. And the head coaches, the GMs, and the player personnel guys are still going to make I know. good money. The coordinators are still going to make good money. But but who's going to feel the pinch? It's those people at the other end. Yes. Chris Jones is still going to make a big salary. But there's a handful of people who are no, who are no longer working for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders or won't be very soon because of this cap. And they wouldn't have been making huge mm-hmm. salaries. So it, they're the ones who feel the pinch. It's not the people who are getting the big salaries. That's it, it's horrible. It's not the it's not that's not going to affect them being well compensated. You're right. And what people might overlook is the fact of the morale in the organization. Because mm-hmm. the football ops people are taking the hit. So are the front office people taking hits? The marketing people, the ticket people, and I'm not saying they should, but I know I'm not saying that. But when you have to look at the trainers and the video guys and they've just been told they're taking cuts. Are, are those other people in your organization taking cuts too? Because now you've created a little bit of a, I'm not going to say a riff, but, you know, just bad morale, right? Well, if Chris Jones is taking a pay cut, Craig Reynolds had better be. Len Rhodes at Edmonton yeah. had better be. You, yeah. look, you look down the list. If, if, if the organizations are serious about it, and it would have been the, the governors who would have had to vote on this. Right. Uh, what about their What about their CEOs? They better Wade Miller be, better be taking a cut, etc., etc., etc. I haven't seen yeah, any I don't, indication. I don't know that. the answers to that, but I just think it's a very dangerous slope you're going down. So, Brandon, maybe we'll get on a little. What's the week like after a Grey Cup? What's this week like when you remember thirteen? <laughs> you won the Grey Cup. Life is, you know, you've done um, everything you can, and then do you get a chance to say we won the Grey Cup? Because they have this forty eight hours. Remember, they, they this year they installed the. No coaching changes, anything until 48 hours after the Great Cup. 
yeah. discussion. I don't, what what is your week like when you win in? No one's mansion draft to deal with this year. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of ruined your, yeah. ruined your celebration in 2013 pretty quickly. <laughs> I forgot all about Congratulations, that. by the way. Yeah. yeah. I really choose the right guy to lose, I heard. Um, so <laughs> four of the five years that I went to a Grey Cup, I lost. So um, coming home from a Grey Cup with a loss is, is bad. Um, it's The Ottawa trip today would be just horrible going home. Um, you know, you get your guys together, you have a wrap-up meeting, and the words are hollow. They really are. There's nothing you can say that's going to make it any better to say you had a good year. Yeah, you did, but did you, you know what I mean? So you'd go through the checkout and if you lose the game, it is awful. Um, It's just a sense of just total devastation. I hate being, you know, I'm not trying to exaggerate. Um, When you win it, the way I looked at the win that we had, it was, I think I referred to it a couple of times. It's more relief than it is joy. It really is. It's so much of a burden to take off. And Calgary, I think, is going through that right now. The pressure that they had to win that game over the two losses, I think they're more – obviously they're happy. Don't get me wrong. But I think relief outweighs that. It really does. But it's a total change to your day-to-day routine because come the end of the week, your whole day-to-day routine is changing with what you guys have described on what's coming down the line in this off season. Oh boy, the GMs like Marcel. I feel so bad for him. He's coming off a horrible loss, and now he's got all this other stuff to contend with. And when you win a game like a Grey Cup, it's a little bit easier to cope with. Not much, but it is, and uh, it's tough. You know, like you guys said, we had the dispersal draft in '14, and shortly thereafter that we'd won the cup, I knew there was somebody good that we were going to lose, and I just dreaded that in two weeks he just won a Grey Cup and he's going to get a call saying you no longer part of our team. And that's just part of the business that you're in. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I want to make a final ominous. Uh, anything you'd care to add before we wrap up this podcast? It's not football related, but I think we'd all like to send our condolences to Mick Magoo and his family. Um, Mm. everyone has a Mick Magoo story. He was a longtime NHL referee, WHL referee. All right. Good guy character. Everyone has a Mick Magoo story. I'll share mine. I played in a golf tournament and why not? Why not? Mick was my roommate. And to this day, I haven't heard a man snore as loudly as that. And it was like the windows were rattling. And he would get up morning and laugh and say, oh, my wife doesn't say anything about it. You're a big baby. But Mick died on the weekend at 62. And the outpouring of support for him. And uh, Saskatchewan lost a character and a good guy. And uh, i just like to say my best to their family and to everybody who knew in that world. I hadn't seen him in a while, but I think we, we lost a good one on the weekend. Brendan? Uh, Murray, well put. Well said. I won't say any more than that. Yeah, it's uh, it's really a, especially sixty two is is too young. Uh, that's that's just so wrong that it would happen. Uh, is we were lucky. We we got to work with uh, Mick's son Luke. He used to work in Leader yeah. Post Sports Department, uh, compiling sports scores. And, and Luke was a lot like his dad, just a fun loving, happy go lucky guy. And so there's a, it hits home when you, when you know Luke and, and really have a lot of admiration for him and his family. And, uh, I lost my dad a month before he would have turned 62. So I hear somebody losing their father at 62 and it, it, it really hits home because I've been there and there's never an easy day, easy time. If my dad would have lived 150, it would have hurt, but, uh, a tremendous I mean, suddenly Gary Bettman and, and, and Don Cherry and Ron McLean yeah. and anybody who's anybody in the hockey world is talking about Mick Magoo. And that tells you about the impact this uh, this fine man had. And it transcends hockey. Just people really revered him as a person and, and, and rightfully so. So 
to the Magoos, we wish you uh, all the best. And let's hope our next podcast a little livelier and brighter yeah. than this one here. Uh, right? Agreed. I won't, I won't um, bring you the negative. Somebody else can do the positive. <laughs> Brandon, thanks so much for being with us uh, twice in the podcast this year and weekly throughout the football season. Uh, it's been uh, awesome to, to collaborate with you. And I should point out that my predictions over the course of the season were better than yours by two victories. So there. My cat made my prediction, so just <laughs> Um, we have the little message to read at the end. Uh, Murr, you can read it. I... All right. Are you ready? Please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. It only can it can only help. That was awful. Take two. <laughs> Please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. It helps us grow the podcast. Easy peasy. Yeah, I'm not going to give up my day job <laughs> mumbling my way through my copy. Brendan, thanks so much. It's been, uh, it's thanks, been a Brandon, lot of fun. I enjoyed it's your been... columns too. A lot of fun. You had a, made a big impact. I think you could oh, have been doing my job one day. I'm glad two people like them. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We won't ask you to do predictions anymore. Murr, thanks. thanks so much. It's awesome as always. I'm Rob, and we'll, we're going to be doing this throughout the off season, by the way. So uh, feel free to join us uh, weekly right through what promises to be a really interesting and eventful If winter. people get to the very end of this and they want to send us some questions, if they have any topics they'd like to di- for us to discuss that – we're not against having any suggestions or ideas thrown yeah, our way. And, and feel free to send us answers to those questions, That'd too, because be we're not so, very bright. Just send them all to Rob, though. <laughs> I'll be sending a few. Oh, sure. <laughs> send them to Rob R. Vanstone at LeaderPost. Oh, no, R. Vanstone at PostMedia.com. Yes, I have used my mouth Or before. tweet them to me at, at Rob Vanstone. And, or uh, at Murray LP, and uh, we'll, we'll look at them. How's that? There we go. Murray, Brendan, thank you. I'm Rob. Take care, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>